Uh, it is about time to uh, read a story to my children uh, after dinner. That's what my body's telling me right now. Um, so <laughs> I shouldn't fall asleep. I've had two cups of coffee. So, um, so I'm really thankful to be here with you. It's so nice to see familiar faces and catch up and uh, to be reminded of your names as well since three and a half years uh, can be a long time. And um, yeah, I'm just so thankful to be in a room with so many believers. The last time I was in a room with this many Christians was at least two years ago, maybe two and a half. So uh, it's kind of overwhelming to be around also so many English speakers. So um, yeah, so we have a lot of adjustment uh, over these two months here that we're in Canada. Um, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's kind of overwhelming, honestly, but it's so good because God is good. So today we're looking at rest, and I didn't actually give the sermon a title, so this is fantastic, whoever put How to Rest, because that's what we're talking about today. Thank you for reading between the lines and my points, whoever did that, that's great. Uh, we're talking about How to Rest, we're looking at three texts today, and uh, before we open God's Word again, I'm just going to have a short prayer. Let's pray. God, I need you now, I... I just confess my weakness bodily and, and mentally that I am weak. And these words that we will read from your scriptures are powerful. And they are, have already spoken to me. And I ask that you would speak to those here and speak to those who listen to this message afterwards that you would change their hearts and impact them in many ways beyond what I can possibly say during this message this morning. So we trust these things to you, Lord, and pray in Christ's name, amen. So we're going to start today in Genesis chapter 2, if you will open to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be reading the first few verses, and... Um, like, uh, like uh, Pastor Trevor said, we've been living overseas, and I think we're six and a half years abroad, man, that's crazy to think, um, and a lot of that work has been in West Asia and in the country of Turkey specifically, and uh, recently, <clears throat> as I spent time there in um, February the 6th, there was uh, quite an event. So there's a man named uh, Hassan, and Hassan lives in a, a, a mountain village, and this night he couldn't sleep. Um, he got up and was going to have a cigarette, because if you're in Turkey, that's what you do. He was sitting by the window to smoke and suddenly saw this very strange blue light in the sky. And he thought that was super weird, and he went to grab his jacket. It's February it's maybe minus 15 or 20 outside with snow. On his way to go get his jacket, what he didn't know was that light is called by NASA as an earthquake light. And as he made his way across the kitchen, in which he demonstrated to me, he held the counter as the house violently shook with a 7.8 earthquake that let out a sound like the most horrific sound that you've ever heard and so loud and horrifying that he, the, the earthquake went for 90 seconds and he, 
his building, thankfully, did not collapse. He walked into the hall uh, to try to get downstairs, and he has this, like, uh, big uh, stove in his uh, stairway, and it had slid like four feet over from the earthquake. His entire kitchen had collapsed, and he made it outside into what looked like blue snow from the strange light that was in the sky. Just hours later in the day, there was a, a 7.6 earthquake that followed as people were trying to pull out bodies from the rubble more buildings collapsed and more people died. So this is, um, in thinking about the topic of rest, uh, I can say that I've really struggled with this. I arrived in Turkey in the earthquake zone days after the earthquake and 1.2 million five people were homeless. There have been, in the the month afterwards, about 16,000 aftershocks, about 14 million people affected. The scale of this is like maybe driving from here to Saskatoon and every city along the way is damaged and there's buildings down. The zone, I looked it up, is about half the size of Alberta, the province of Alberta. That's the area affected. Just a massive amount, more than 12,000 buildings entirely collapsed. So I spent the last months uh, in Turkey, probably seven, eight weeks, another couple weeks in a neighboring country as well, doing language uh, research. And um, I can tell you that these last months have been some of the most difficult months in a way, uh, challenging me physically and mentally, and both my, my wife certainly as well. So I spent maybe eight weeks in country doing relief work and sharing the gospel. And uh, this topic of rest, I think, was totally chosen by God for me to think about specifically. So if none of you need rest in this room, I certainly need it, and I'm thinking so much about this topic. So the first example that we see of rest in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2. I'll read it now. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1. The heavens and the earth were completed with everything that was in them. By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing and ceased. He rested. On the seventh day, all the work that he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. Now this... This is the first instance of rest. And as we talk about rest today, if you're taking notes, there are three main points, and the first one is coming out of this text. Stop working. In order to get any kind of rest, you must stop working. The second point that we'll get to is go and learn from Christ. Go and learn from Christ. And the third, pursue Eternity. Pursue eternity. So we're going to talk about stop, stopping our work. So Yahweh rested on his work on the seventh day. And I tried to look up some definitions of rest because I thought 
we all sleep at night. We all, at some point, uh, at least have to sleep. Physically, we must sleep. I don't know about you. You might still look at your phone at 10 at night, check the price of Solana if you haven't today. That might give you a heart attack if you're into crypto. But uh, we all are working for a certain period of time and then eventually you sleep. But at the same time, you can sleep every night of the week. Thank you very much, brother. That's brilliant. I'll take a sip of this. Amen to that. Eventually you need sleep, but if you have a baby and you're a daddy, you know that you can sleep for some hours and you can still feel exhausted. There's something more to this than simply not working or sleeping. There's something more to this, and I don't have all the answers, but this hopefully is certainly a way to get started in thinking more about this topic. So I think it's, it's a, for me as well, it's a bit about some self-awareness. Oh, let me get back to definition. So I looked up a few definitions. Many of them talked about ceasing from activity. So work or str- um, freedom from activity, work or strain or responsibility. Another definition was the practice of ceasing work or activity to relax and restore one's energy. So I'm gonna, we're going to kind of think about that just for a minute. So I pride myself on how much I can get done in a day. That's not with everybody, but certainly in our culture, we pride ourselves, I think, broadly speaking, on how much we can get done. We put our value as human beings or even see ourselves in, in light of the gospel, not in light of the gospel, but in light of how much could I accomplish today? Could I check off all the boxes? Could I add more lines and more boxes and check those ones off too? And still, and I feel like if I don't get all those things done, I feel like a failure, whether that's true or not. So ultimately, this reveals something about my relationship with Christ as well, rather than really how successful I am. There is something about needing to balance this work and rest. You know, Mike Kaler had a conversation with me as I talked with him about this some time ago, and he said at a former job, he had to almost nag the Americans to take time off of work because they would work, go, go, go. And then I think, correct me if I'm wrong later, Mike, but the Brits, when he talked to them, he seemed, it seemed like maybe they're always on the beach every time he called them. Come on, get back in the office. You got to work. <laughs> so <laughs> something to that extent anyways. There is, there is certainly a cultural aspect to this that is a huge part, not only of our perception of work or our value of work, but what it means to also rest and what rest looks like on a day-to-day basis or what your vacation looks like. So these are some cultural sins even in the way that we pride ourselves on how much we can get done and how much we value ourselves. I've heard it said that Albertans work hard and they play hard. I don't know if that's still true, probably still is. And um, I think being overseas has really challenged me as my kind of way of working brushes up against other people's expectations of me and how I work. And sometimes my pride has gotten in the way of saying, 
oh, I, I don't have to rest exactly like you, but I definitely have to figure out how to rest. So I know we have some German speakers here, praise the Lord. And they have this concept called Feierabend. 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 And this, this concept, I think, is, I think we can all learn something from this. Let's, let's dive into this for just a moment. This is this concept at the end of the week or the night. It doesn't matter in a sense what it literally means. But when you go and do this, you, you are not working. It is like taboo for your boss to call you during this time. If he calls you at this time, I mean, you are, you're certainly not answering the phone. Uh, you're with your friends, maybe having a, especially in Germany, you're having a beer, white glass of wine. You're, you're doing something that's not work, and it may not even be appropriate during this time to even talk about work. I know in, in, in Switzerland, even asking somebody about somebody's job, their career, there are times where it's inappropriate to do that because you like bridge this gap of, well, you're starting to bring rest, like work into this conversation. This is not a time to talk about work. So there is a time, and I think there's something to be learned from Germans who have this stereotype also in this German culture of working hard, that there is a way to also unplug and to stop working. So some of the things that I've tried uh, is to try to separate myself even electronically from work, whether that's turning off my phone, Maybe it's having two phones and separating myself from the one that's my work phone. I don't do that, but I know some people that do. Making a work schedule and helping, having somebody keep you accountable, whether that's your spouse or a mentor or somebody that in your life that's keeping you accountable for doing that. Or like Mike is telling these Americans, take your allotted vacation time already. Stop working. And in a culture where it's so easy to, um, to take on additional work, well, because, well, I could use the extra money, right? So why turn down some overtime? Don't take it. Take opportunities to instead say, you know what? I'm going to spend time with my family instead. I'm going to take some time to reflect on the last weeks, months, and reflect on my relationship with the Lord instead. When was the last time you did that? So if you're in a bad place, and maybe it's in your career, maybe you need to make a radical decision and quit your job and find something else that is more suitable for your family or even your personal health. In 2015, I worked as a, a train conductor here in Calgary. I can tell you that that was not a good job for family life. And I had to re retire from that job and move on to doing other stuff. <laughs> so, but... Just because you've stopped working doesn't actually mean that you'll get the rest you need because there's more than just this physically stopping work, although it's really important to stopping work and you need to stop work. There's something more. We need to go and we need to learn from Christ. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 19, or sorry, chapter 11, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight, we are jumping into the middle of, a, of teaching of Jesus here. 
And he says in 28, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 29, Take my yoke on, take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. We don't have a lot of time to look at the grammar and delicious things that I love doing in linguistics, but what I can tell you is pointing out some of the main things here that's going on that we can pull out and that we can reflect on during this time. The first thing that we see, Jesus says, come. Come to me. And he says, those who are weary and burdened. And this weary and burdened, this counterpart of these words is referring to work. These are common, were common words that were used in the first century. So people hearing this would know, oh, this is like, this is like manual labor. This is, this is work. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then we see after, he says, take my yoke, and he says to learn. And he says, for you will find rest for your souls. So we see this like this rest for body and also rest for your souls. So we see this, this kind of psychosomatic situation where you have this, you've got the mind, which is the psycho part, and the somatic part, which is your body. And together we know that we are not just simply a body, we, we have a mind. And I don't know if you've seen some of those memes. I certainly see them on Twitter of this like brain that's thinking and the person's like waking up. I don't know if you've seen that. I certainly see that in my Twitter feed. But we know that there's the mind might, uh, be, might wake you up at night. You may have trouble sleeping at night because your mind is thinking and trying to solve all the problems that you have in your day. Our bodies are so intimately connected with our minds. We need rest for both our body and our mind. And this, this comes out of this text. Resting from our work. We need to go to Christ. We need to rest. And we need to learn from him. And so some of this learning part is going to come in the future messages. And I can't go there too much. Or Pastor Michael might give me a little kick or something. Because he's going to talk more about that. So, you know, uh, don't sue me, bro, that I'm not going to, you know, go there now. So please forgive me. Okay, we need to, but we need to be aware that this rest needs to take place in these two categories. That's not just stopping from work. Your phone can ring in the evening and suddenly you see a text message or an email or you see the stock price of the S&P 500 tanking again and you're like, my goodness, I'm in trouble again. Or how am I going to solve these problems? And then your mind is just active in the evening. We need to go to Christ. We need to learn from him. And we need to see how we can learn to rest. Unless you have rest for your souls, you will be, remain weary and burdened. As I was, I came across a quote in a commentary that says, the rest Jesus offers his disciples enables them to overcome a certain measure of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, and meaninglessness in the joy and peace of God's very presence in Jesus Christ. So we won't be entirely free, I think, 
of the burdens of this life until we one day go and be with Christ. Because we are still in fallen bodies and have fallen minds. And in these imperfections, we need to trust in Christ. We need to learn from him. We need to rely on him. And as we do this, we can truly have as much rest as possible in our bodily lives now. But this is also why we need to pursue an eternity of rest in Christ. And that's where we're going next. Pursuing eternity. Pursue eternity. You should pursue eternity with Christ. And this is probably, in some ways, one of the most beautiful aspects here as we turn now to Hebrews chapter 4. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 8 and 10. Now there's this beautiful section as we look in the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, that there is actually so much going on here about rest that... um, that if you read a biblical theology and you're like, how is the theme of rest traced from the Old Testament, from Genesis 2 into the Psalter, into the New Testament? There is so much going on here that's talking about rest. And we're kind of jumping right to the sweet spot at the end. So we're going to see kind of the best part of what this rest is talking about as we read Hebrews chapter 4 verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken afterward about another day. Consequently, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For the one who enters God's rest has also rested from his works, even as God did from his own works." And I'll add this, thus we must make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. So if you are only looking at rest from this perspective of ceasing activity, and if this is your definition that you're looking at here, you're probably confused. And rightly so, because there's a lot more going on to rest here than just talking about this, this ceasing of working. The, the, the writer here is pulling back in the Old Testament of this theme of rest and attributing much more to what the prophets have said and said, look, rest here, and specifically looking at Joshua, Joshua became the Israelites' leader after Moses died in Joshua 1. And then Joshua led this conquest to the, of the promised land, which represented rest for God's people. We see that in Joshua 1.13. And here, there's still this looking forward, even at this time in the prophets, there's this looking forward still to another rest. The Israelites' rest after settling in the promised land was not the ultimate or final rest. This concept of rest here that the writer in Hebrews is pointing to is also an analogy for future salvation. So in this sense, as we talk about 
needing physical and mental rest that we do need. And we go and we learn from Christ and see how at this time we could learn to better rest. We also need to look forward and we need to look and see where are we going? We know that the battle is won if we're in Christ. We need to look and we need to know that when we are in Christ, we will get new bodies. We will eventually have this eternal rest in Christ. And we need to look and we need to hope for this rest. And this, this gives us hope. And this should give us hope. When you are talking to people like those who I've been working with these last months who witnessed or heard the death of their family members, their spouses, their children, who heard their cries for days under the rubble until they couldn't breathe anymore, and they experienced this horrible pain and suffering, what kind of words, what words can you possibly provide to them to show them that there's hope? The gospel is the answer, even in this kind of suffering, even in this hardship and pain as, you, as they weep and as you weep with them, as we talk with our brothers and sisters here who haven't necessarily had this kind of hardship, but you're coming from a different kind of season as you go into the summer from a busy business that's been scaling or a job that you've lost and, or family that's sick and you have had these hardships and your relationships or your family, you you need to be encouraged. You need this same word, that there is hope and you can still have rest if you stop and you look to Christ and you look and seek him because through him, you will see how you can rest and process these, this time, these last months of this year, 2023 and reflect on this time and see what kind of things can you change in your life this summer as you reflect on this time so that you can be more like Christ as you go forward and that as we are in this race, not a sprint, as we're in this race to eternal life, that we can be equipped for this long distance run that we're doing and not burn out on the way and fail to be with him, that we confess our sins and that we, repent, that we repent and we believe now because our testimony, like Brother Carlos said, is still continuing and we need him at this time now. So with this, I'm going to conclude this message. Let me end in prayer. God, God, we need you so much. We need you more than we even know we need you. And we call out to you that you would help us to learn to rest, that you would help us separate ourselves from work, that we would even have this open space to consider what it means to go to you, to learn, and uh, that we would look towards being with you in eternity, and that we would be ready to meet with you when that time comes. So we entrust these things to you now, Lord. 
In Christ's name we pray, amen.